Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up is a word from Pastor Kong Hee. I want to talk about entering God's rest. Entering His rest. The most important expression of our faith is resting in God. So go with me to Matthew 11, and let's look at verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did Jesus say? I will give you rest. Now, this concept of rest is huge in the Bible. From the first chapters of Genesis all the way to the pages of the Gospels, to the last chapters of Revelation. Again, you'll find the Word of God, Scripture telling us, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Enter into God's rest. Come into the rest of God. And in fact, it is the first thoughts of Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. So you, here you have a picture of a relationship with Jesus, our good shepherd, and the first thing that he brings us into is that he brings us into rest. So what exactly is resting in Jesus Christ? He says, I will give you rest. What does it mean? Rest is a confidence, is a peace, a great belief that everything is already prepared, provided, everything is promised for us. What is, what is rest? In the scriptural context, this, this is how the Bible defines it, right? It is a confidence you have in life. It is a peace that you carry with you. It is an assurance that everything that you need in your life, it is already promised, prepared, provided. So we won't worry. We won't be stressed. We won't be anxious or fearful. We won't have a care of the world. Now, rest is the greatest expression of faith. If we are a faith church, if you walk by faith, the just shall live by faith, then the greatest expression of our faith, beyond our confession, beyond our prayers, beyond our meditation, it is the rest that we have in the Lord. Because we believe in the finished work of Christ. We won't sweat over something that Jesus has already done. If He's done it, then why sweat over it? If we trust in the Lord, if we believe in Jesus, then we will rest in Jesus. So the sermon tonight is going to be very challenging. Sermon tonight is going to be a test of your faith. How much do you really believe? How much do you really trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior? Many struggle to believe that God will really take care of them. I mean, will God really look after my marriage? Will God really look after my career, my job, my future? Everything is in a mess, Pastor. Will God really help me out in my life? Or we try to get God to do what He has already done. Oh God, please, please do something to heal me. But 
Already 2,000 years ago, He healed us. By His stripes, we were, past tense, healed. <laughs> oh, we try very hard. Oh, God, please have mercy on us. Please provide for us. Do something to provide for me, for my family. But I thought it's already finished. So we are worried. We are stressed. We are anxious. Instead of resting on what's already done, already promised, provided, prepared for, moving into the finished work of Christ, instead of doing all that, we live a very stressed out life. Again and again, when you read the gospel, Jesus keeps saying, don't worry, don't worry. Just don't worry, don't fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't be stressed. Just rest. Everything is going to turn out fine. Everything is going to be all right. So Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 right now. And here you have a whole concept on what rest is. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, the word confidence in Greek is the word parousia. Parousia means all outspokenness. Wow. Confidence is all outspokenness. And you're speaking out the promises of God. You're speaking out the scripture. And that is why again and again, the more you speak, the more you gain in confidence. Three times actually in the Bible, Hebrews says we must not cast away our confidence. That means don't lose your all-out spokenness. Don't lose the, the promises of God in your mouth, in your lips, because confidence has great reward. So we are truly the church of Jesus Christ whose house we are, the verse says, if we believe in His Word and keep speaking forth all our spokenness, the Word of God, the Word of God. You know, interesting. I was in a church just very recently, and I was there for a few days, and you know that all the time I was there, I never hear a single scripture ever being uttered or referred to on the pulpit. Of course, I'm the main speaker. So when I came on the stage, I, I spent a lot of time taking them through line upon line, scripture upon scripture, precept upon precept. But sometimes we can be so excited doing so many things, and yet we never focus on the Word of God. So you believe the Word. You keep on speaking forth the Word in your conversation, in your proclamation, in your prayers, in your meditation. It, it, when you talk on the phone, when you meet your friends. So this is how we build our confidence in the Lord and we don't cast away, we don't cast that away out of our lives. And we are truly the church of Jesus Christ if we keep the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, hope means vision. What you see in your future, you have a hope for the future. So all the way to the end, you must keep visualizing it, no matter how messed up 
you may feel concerning your marriage, your home life, your job, your career, your ministry. You keep on visualizing. You hold on to that vision. I got to hold on to the vision that God will raise us up to be the generation that will take Asia by storm. And you keep rejoicing. You keep thanking God for the great future that you have. So if we have this kind of confidence and rejoicing in that vision, we are truly the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, faith comes by hearing and hearing the voice of God, the Word of God. It says in verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. If we don't consider the Word of God, our heart will harden toward the Word. Whatever you don't consider, your heart will harden. Whatever you ponder on, you focus and direct your mind, you think about it, you meditate on it, you become very flexible. You become very open to that thing. All right? So the Bible says, if we don't consider the Word of God, His voice, today when you hear that voice, and you don't want to think about it, you don't want to ponder or direct your mind or focus on it, we will develop a hardened heart towards that voice, towards that promise. And this was what happened in the children of Israel in the wilderness. To them, to the children of Israel. For 400 years, God gave them the promise of His Word. God swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to bring your descendants out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. God will give them cities they didn't build. God will give them wells they didn't dig. God will give them vineyards they didn't plant. In other words, God is saying, everything is already done for you. You don't even need to do anything. I have promised, I have prepared, I have provided. It is there. You just need to enter into that promise. Well, God is going to give them protection, right? When you got a city, there's protection. God is going to give them provision because wells give you water for your survival. God is going to give them profession. They can have vineyards. They can have jobs. Listen, City Harvest Church, this is the great God we serve. You never need to worry about your well-being, your protection, your provision, your job, your profession. God is going to provide all, and He has provided all for us. So God say, I'm going to take care of your home. I'm going to take care of your money that you need, your jobs. So God say, you don't need to do anything. Now, what I quoted is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You say, all you need to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And for the first time, God gave the great commandment. So God said, all I want from you is just love me. Believe in me. Trust in my promises. If you trust me enough, you will receive the, all that I've done for you. You don't need to worry. You don't need to stress. You just learn to rest. 
No, because if there's no trust, how can there be any relationship, right? Yeah, if, if husband and wife don't trust each other, how can they love one another? How can there be a relationship? God says, just love me. If you love me, trust me. If you trust me enough that I will give you everything I have promised. Now, the hopes and the dreams of three million Israelites were broken and shattered when just 10 spies came and gave a bad report. Oh, there are mountains so great and giants so big. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way. You know, Moses took us here and we all die in the wilderness. You see, 10 people, just imagine that. 10 people versus 3 million. 10 spies enough to shatter all their confidence and all the peace that they have within their hearts. Friends, we've got to be very careful concerning the, the words that we hear, the native words that we receive from around us. Who do you think you are? You're not educated enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're too young. You're too old. You're, you're too tall. You're too short. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too dark. You're too fair. The Israelites were afraid of the giants. But the truth was that the giants were more afraid of them because the giants saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night on them. The giants were afraid. And that was the truth. But when the Israelites heard of the obstacles, they forgot the promises of God and they panicked. Listen, the Satan, the devil, will never happily let you come into all the blessings that God has prepared for us. The devil will never let us have our destiny without a fight. There will always be giants standing in the way, stopping us from inheriting the promises of God. But God didn't forget. God didn't go and say, oh no, you're facing some obstacle. I, oh, I didn't prepare you for that. I didn't expect you're going to face that. I didn't expect that when I raised up City Harvest Church, oh, they're going to face this and that. God doesn't have dementia. God is not seen now. Oh, dear, I forgot. I, yo, I totally forgot. How come angels, y'all didn't remind me? You didn't put it on, on my calendar. But when the Israelites just couldn't believe that God has already done all the work, that the cities were already built, that the wells were already dug, that really the vineyards were already planted. They focused so much on the problem, the mountains, the giants, instead of the promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, the provision, the victory. So God says this in verse 9. He says, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God was so grieved. God was so provoked. He declared, okay, okay, all right, fine. You don't want to enter in? Then I won't force you to go in. All right? You don't have to go in. You will, in fact, never enter into my rest. 
And that generation went round and round the wilderness again and again. Three million people, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. They went round and round for 40 years because they just cannot believe that God is that good, that God is that great, that God really prepared cities and wells and vineyards already for them, that God really will tackle and fight for them when they face the giants. They just couldn't believe. Now, this story in the Bible is not just given to us as a history lesson. Oh, so you learn something that's really nice that happened thousands of years ago. See, what happened to the Israelites is really an objective lesson for us. It's a picture, a shadow for the reality that we have to grapple with. The Bible says today there's still a rest for every believer to enter in. How many believers born again, filled in the Holy Spirit, and you're so happy Jesus is your Savior? If you are like that, lift up both hands and shout a little bit. Woo! Right? There is a rest for every one of us. But we mustn't repeat the unbelief. We must believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The children of Israel had a promised land where everything that they needed was already provided and done for them. We have a promise in Jesus Christ that everything we need in our life from now to all eternity is now available for us. Healing is available to us. Supernatural peace, joy, and love to make your marriage work and to keep it happy. It's now there. It's available for you and for me. The power of deliverance for every oppression, for every obstacle to break us free from temptation and from demonic uh, attacks is available. The success and the blessing that we desire for our lives in our career in our future, everything has already been provided for. Everything was finished and completed 2,000 years ago. God is now just asking us, City Harvest Church, brothers and sisters, can you trust me? That's what God is saying. My people, can you trust me? Can you have the confidence, the outspokenness, the peace in your heart? knowing that everything was already done, completed. I have prepared everything for your success in your life. And that is why I say, and I say it again, the greatest expression of our faith and our trust is when we learn how to rest and come into the rest of God. Now, we Asians are very disciplined. We Asians are very diligent, Singaporeans especially, right? We are very hardworking people. You know, I mean, we, we, we work long hours and we work very, very hard. And it's very difficult for us to believe that we can get something from doing nothing. I mean, Pastor, you're telling me I can get something for doing nothing? Look, Pastor Kong, you yourself work very hard. <laughs> you yourself is very diligent. Are you saying that we can actually get something for doing nothing. See, without Christ, 
For sure, if you do nothing, you're gonna get nothing. But with Jesus Christ in our lives, then by doing nothing, Jesus becomes the hope of our glory. And if Jesus is in charge, our future will always be great. Our blessing will always be there because Jesus Christ will never let us down and we'll come into God's miracles of provision and blessing. Jesus, the hope of glory. Oh, come on, you want to clap? Let's give God a big clap. Recently, I, I met a Malaysian pastor friend of mine and he was sharing a wonderful healing testimony with me. There was an Indonesian girl that was born with liver failure. He was, she was born with liver failure. Her name was Adeline, right? And from birth, they found that the liver was failing, and from the second month onward, she was constantly in the ICU. So this is a Malaysian pastor, and somehow he's gonna be connected to this girl from Indonesia. The family couldn't get her treated properly in Indonesia, so they brought her to Singapore to NUH. The doctor said she needed either number one, a liver transplant, or number two, she needed to have a liver bypass. So they did the Kasai procedure on her, a liver bypass. She went through the whole process, poor thing. You know, third month as a baby, she went through the whole thing. And one year later, the liver started failing again. So the Singapore doctor said she now have liver sclerosis. That means the liver was shutting down. She's going to die. The family, they are quite wealthy, so they brought Adeline to the top specialist, liver specialist in Japan. And they had a liver transplant. Eight months later, the body rejected the transplant and they brought her back. So she was admitted to Mount E, Mount Elizabeth Hospital in Singapore. The doctor said there's nothing we can do. They're giving up hope on her. Now, my Malaysian pastor friend, Pastor Gavin Chan, he happened to be visiting Singapore. And one day he was walking along Orchard Road, eating, minding his own business at the Orchard Road food court. And then a member of Adeline's family came to him and said, you know, I never met you before, but somehow I just sensed the Holy Spirit want me to come and talk to you. Are you a pastor? Now he said, yes, I am a pastor. He said, my family has a little baby and the baby's dying at Mount E. Can you just come and pray for my baby? So he finished everything he's eating with this stranger, went to Mount E came into the room, and Adeline was there. You can see the photo, stomach bloated, dying. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, will you just ask her, who has been visiting her late in the night, every night? <laughs> so he asked her, he said, Adeline, did anyone come and see you every night, the last few nights? Now this is, this is going to... She said... The whole family, all, listen, they're all there. She said, yeah, every night when everyone's asleep, she said, there's a very tall uncle with beautiful long hair came to my room and played with me. And then he comes every night, and he's very kind. And 
Oh, those pairs of eyes are so loving. And then she said, last night he came to me and said, my name is Jesus. And Adeline, don't worry, you're going to get well. Now with that, Pastor Gavin laid hands on her and prayed. And in three days, totally healed, was totally discharged. Come on, somebody, give God a big hand. <laughs> oh, you want to clap? Let's give God a big clap. <laughs> Man, this must be one of the most far-out stories I ever heard, you know. She's now, now that's 2013. Adeline is now six years old, 2016. Totally well, totally healthy, no more liver failure. Jesus raised. Come on, somebody, give God a big hand. You know, you just got to rest in God. That what God has promised, He's able to do it. So let's look at verse 12. Beware, brethren, now speaking to the Christians. Beware, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So the children of Israel couldn't go into the promised land because they depended and relied on the welfare of Egypt, on the food that the Egyptians would provide, the jobs that they gave, the homes that they had built for them, even though they were slaves. The Israelites relied on the doctors and the medicines of Egypt more than they relied on God. So God is saying this, since you can't trust me, then you won't experience how I will make a way when there is no way. You can't see me at work because you refuse to go in. What Hebrews is saying, you yourself, those of us reading the scripture here, must be very careful to make sure we don't repeat this and don't have an evil heart of unbelief concerning the finished work of Christ. Jesus died for our sickness, for our bondage, for our oppression, for the curse of continuous failures. He died for our poverty so that we are able to come into God's supply. If we can't believe that what He has done is enough, then we can't trust Him. Then we will panic when you get a medical report and say you have cancer. And we will panic when we feel that we are quarreling all the time and you're suspecting perhaps your husband is having an affair. Then we will panic and worry and we will look to other people for solution. We will look for other ways to solve the problem because we simply cannot lean on God and rely on Jesus, and He is no longer our source. Then we stop seeking His kingdom first and all His righteousness. God is no longer our priority because we can't trust Him, you see? You know, God is not our priority because if we don't help ourselves, who is going to help us? Yeah? If, if, if I don't do this myself, how am I going to have a breakthrough? Church, to God, this is evil. This is an evil heart of unbelief because we can't trust that what He has promised in His Word is true. 
that he will do it. So the real fight is never external. The real fight is always internal here. Friends, our biggest enemies are not our competitors or our friends or our relatives or Satan or the demon. The real fight is always the fight of faith. That means it's the fight in the mind. It's the fight in your heart. Can you believe every single day that is what I fight? Every single day, that's what you fight. Can we take God in His Word? Can we trust the Word of God that God will never ever disappoint us or ever let us down in every issue of our lives? Our fight is not against Satan and his demons, although I believe in spiritual warfare and we got to bind the devil. But Jesus says, I have given you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Question is, do you believe this? Can we believe this? Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is now upon me to heal the broken heart, to set the captives free, to open prison doors and make the blind to see. The Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. Question is, can we believe that? Can you believe that? Can I believe that? Jesus says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And for all the sacrifices we have made to the gospel, Jesus says, now this, these are the words of Jesus, even in seasons of persecution, you will receive a hundredfold in this lifetime. What? Houses and lands families and children, souls and revivals. Can we believe that? That is why the Bible says in verse 13, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Unbelief is sin. So we got to daily remind one another, daily encourage, preach to one another. This week, I was blessed. Almost every day, I met different ones. I met so many pastors this week. I started the week by visiting Canon Wong and Sister Esther. And I sat there and let Sister Esther preach to me. She's a good preacher. And she was preaching to me, oh, Daniel, Kong, listen, you got to listen to this, Kong. Three times, she said, three times, God said, Daniel, you are beloved of God. And, and Daniel went through the lion's den. Three times, God said, you're beloved. So I, I listened, yes, 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 yes. And then she prayed for me, oh God, let him understand, let him understand. <laughs> and then I met my two old friends. I met my, my old Pakistani slash Swedish slash American friend, Christopher Alam. And I said, Christopher, Chris, preach to me. Tell me what the Bible teaches. Preach to me like I'm a new believer. <laughs> and he said to me, oh, Kong. He's an evangelist, right? He said, you got to remember he says, Jesus come the storm twice, spoke to the wind and the sea ceased. Oh, I'm sure that the disciples have told the stories of Jesus to the great apostle Paul. Although Paul never met him, he would have known Jesus stopped the storm. Can you imagine? 
Jesus on the way to Rome and was met with a storm. And he stood in front of the hull of the ship and commanded the wind to stop and nothing happened. <laughs> Can you imagine how he would have felt? And then the word of God came to him. It says, you'll all be shipwrecked, <laughs> but none of you will perish. And for three days and three nights, he was in the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> so can you imagine how he felt? The great apostle. Jesus stopped the storm. He's supposed to be a great apostle. In fact, he's in the sea. And he was drifting, 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 reached the island of Malta, and a poisonous snake bit him. <laughs> and he's going to die. Everybody say, this man is the cause of all the trouble. And then, God did a miracle. He cast a snake into the fire, and he was healed. Now everybody say, he's a God. <laughs> and revival broke forth in Malta. He said, Kong, no matter how th hard things are, you must believe. You must believe at the end, you'll be all right. <laughs> so I got blessed. Then the next day, I met my old friend, Pastor Albert Jim Nyagam, first thing I said, now, I, I kid you not, Eric was there. I said, Pastor, preach to me. Tell me. Tell me what to believe. Tell me what Jesus said in the gospel. See, because we need one another. So Pastor Albert gave me a, a short teaching. He said, you know what? Every day, you got to read the Bible with your eyes. Then, you got to say the word. You got to say it. And then you got to hear what you say because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, the eye gate, the mouth gate, the ear gate. You got to do this again and again, and then you'll be strong. I said, Pastor, thank you. Please pray for me. Every single day. Hey, this is better than gossiping about what the neighbor is doing. It's better than gossiping about what this is doing. It's better talking about, oh, have you heard the bad report of the economy around the world? Do you know what ISIS is doing? I tell you, this is better than all those things, right? When we are going through hard times, we must mix with people that carry the spirit of faith. And, and they know the Word of God. So exhort one another daily. Now, let's go on to the next chapter. Hebrews chapter 4, and look at verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I saw in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, everything we ever need is prepared for us. It's provided and done for us. Even before God created the world. Can you imagine that? Let me, let me take you into something more amazing. Revelation 5, you can go back and read, right? It says, Jesus, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. That means in God's mind, Jesus has already died for the sin of man even before he created man. God has already prepared everything because he knew every choice we would make. And for every choice that we make, He already provides a solution for that choice. Look at verse 4. For He has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from His works. So here, Hebrews was quoting Genesis chapter 2. So let's look at Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, right? Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. 
And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So God rested on the seventh day. Now, let me say this. He rested not because he was tired, right? Not because he was exhausted. Uh, God is almighty. He rested because it was finished. There was nothing more to do. So if there's nothing more to do, what do you do? You stop. You rest. You see, we too should rest, not because we're exhausted, not because we are too tired or burnt out, but because we know everything is finished. It's a done deal. So when was Adam created? At the end of the sixth day. God didn't let man show up until everything was prepared for man. That's how much God loves us. Listen, God never brings us forth until He has prepared our entire life and everything that we need. Oh, go ahead and give God a big hand. Oh, hallelujah. So the work was already done even before Adam came into the picture. So God would never put you and I in a place where things are not prepared, where we are not ready for it. God will never do that. And God did that on purpose. Why on the end of the sixth day, there's a purpose. So the very first day of Adam was the day of God's rest. Man was created to enter into God's rest. We are designed for that. Okay? God wanted undistracted fellowship. God wanted to have sweet communion with man. Adam only needed to love God. Adam only needed to worship God. Adam only needed to trust God, enjoy God. Everything he needed to have, God has already finished it and prepared and completed it for him. Today, God is still desiring the same undistracted fellowship and communion with man. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, when we come to meet God, we must put aside the burdens of our family, our home, our work. Don't come to God's presence bogged down by a heavy load. Then you can't worship God. Then you can't look at the Bible. You'll be looking at your phone. You'll be checking the stock market. You'll be checking what's the latest things in the office. When we are in church, we must focus on God and love Him and worship Him. We should set aside all our worries and all our cares. So we enter into His gates with thanksgiving. We come into His courts with praise. And we come right in and enter into His rest. It's how it always been from the beginning, how it always will be. So when what God the Father did at creation, Jesus the Son did at redemption. At the end of the sixth day, God said, it is finished. At the end of the sixth hour at Calvary, Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. 
He has shed His blood to forgive our sins. He has carried our sickness and took our sorrows by the wounds He bore. He broke the curse of failure and poverty. Everything we need to become the righteousness of God in Him and to reign in life as kings has already been finished and completed in Christ. So today, Jesus can say this, come to me, all those that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus will give you rest. Amen. All right, you say, Pastor Kong, I'm really confused right now. Are you saying we don't work at all? You know, so our young people shouldn't study hard? So our church adults don't need to work? So our church staff shouldn't do ministry? Then we members in the church shouldn't serve, right? No, 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 no. Work is a good thing. Now remember, Jesus himself says, God, our Heavenly Father, has been working until now. God wouldn't be working if it's a bad thing. Jesus says, greater works what we do because we have the Holy Spirit. Now turn to somebody in front and behind you this time and say, you are a person of greater works. <laughs> yeah. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. Work is the only way you can develop your gift. Work is the only way you can develop your talents and hone your skills. In fact, work is the only way your potential can be released. You work your potential out. Work is the only way we serve one another. In fact, Jesus says, our good works are the only way the sinners in the world will glorify God in heaven. When they see our good works, Matthew 5 verse 16, right? So work is the way we add value to society. Anyone who can work should work because work is good. Now, so you got to understand this. Adam was created to enjoy God's rest. But in that rest, God gave Adam work to do. Now, in fact, Adam had a job before he had a wife. Before God gave Adam Eve, God gave him work. So we always say in City Harvest Church, you know this, right? God job, God wife. No job, no wife. <laughs> work is good. So as a married couple, Adam and Eve built a family and built a life together in that rest. You hear that? They are to multiply, to subdue, to take dominion of the whole world, to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, in that rest. When Adam was working, he was working in rest. So in the rest of God, we work. It must be the same for us. That means we should not be stressed. We should not be worried, frustrated, struggling, burn out. Because our faith is totally in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His finished work, in the promises of God. And having done all, we stand. We don't worry. 
We do our best and trust God for the rest. So let's be clear. God is not against work. What God is against is toil. What God is against is toil. Not work, but toil. Because toil destroys the rest of God. So tonight, are you working or are you toiling? Toil is a result of sin and disobedience. Genesis chapter 3, right? When Adam sinned against God. To Adam, God said this, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The moment man fell into sin, work becomes toil. Sin breaks the rest of God. Now, let me define for you what is toil. Toil is hard, exhausting, continuous labor, marked by strife, struggle, weariness, and pain. Does this describe your job? <laughs> Does this describe your ministry? Toil is hard. It's exhausting. It's continuous labor that never stops. You're on call 24-7. Marked by strife. A lot of politicking around, backstabbing, gossiping. Struggle. You've got to watch over you. Somebody's going to step above you. Weariness. That means emotionally it gets you down. You just feel down all the time. And pain. Do we toil so hard and such long hours our bodies are breaking down? Sickness is breaking out. Marriage is breaking up. Our ministry is no longer breaking through. We are so bound by bad habits, we are no longer breaking free. Do we toil so hard we find ourselves gossiping in the office all the time? Because we are fed up, we are upset, we are frustrated. You know, we are backbiting, we are backstabbing, we become fleshly, carnal, to get ahead or to get even. Work is useful. Toil is useless. Work is pleasure because you're creating something so fulfilling and great. It's a blessing to the whole world. Work has pleasure. Work has hope because we are building a better life together. We are building a better church together. I mean, those guys on the stage, they went to Japan for two weeks, but they're also happy because they're giving hope. But toil has pain, frustration, hopelessness. You're stuck. Can't quit because how to get a job. So you're stuck. You don't enjoy, you hate going to the office. Jesus doesn't want us to toil so hard in order to be successful. Because, listen, the Bible talks about good success and bad success. Good success when you can be on top and not lose your family. You can be rich and not lose your marriage. Bad success, yeah, you're, you become the manager, you become the boss, 
You get all the shares, but you lose your consecration. You're no longer even coming to church. Jesus says, what profit is, is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That means, what's the point of getting that promotion and that position and lose our family? What's the point of becoming so rich and so famous and lose our commitment to Christ and to His kingdom? That's why Jesus says again and again, again and again, don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about the money you need for your family, for your future. Don't worry about the house, the roof over your head. Don't worry about everything ahead of you. God has already prepared everything and you are going to succeed. You are going to be victorious. You are going to be a blessing. And through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. Oh, come on, you want to clap? Let's give God a big clap. Hallelujah. Matthew 6, verse 28. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now, this word toil in Greek, kopiao, it means overwork to the extent of physical fatigue and emotionally weary. In other words, working ourselves to the ground. I have a Christian friend who was in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur. He's into media. He's into uh, marketing. He worked so hard until he got asthma, nervous breakdown. When I talk to him, I'm surprised. He sits in this big BMW and he goes, I'm so nervous, so nervous. What's the point? This is not life. If we stressed, God will rest. That means God backs off. But if we rest, God will work on our behalf. Everybody say, while I rest, God will work for me. Everybody turn to somebody again on your left and right. Say, while I rest, God is working for me. Yeah, amen. So let's, let's look at Jesus again. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So let's be clear. To rest doesn't mean inactivity. It doesn't mean, oh, it's an excuse to be lazy, to be sloppy, to lose that spirit of excellence. Now, this is work in rest. While we are working, while we are excelling, while we are taking dominion, we are totally trusting in God's promises. We will work hard, but we will not overwork. We will let God fight the battle for us. So, God, you will open the door. I'm not going to make it happen by my own strength. God, you will give me favor. God, you're going to give me wisdom. So, yes, I'll brainstorm to the best, but God, you, you'll tell me exactly what to do. I will work hard, but I will not overwork. We should work in such a way, that's what Jesus is saying. We should work in such a way we have time and energy to serve Jesus. Serving Jesus should never be burdensome. He says, my yoke is easy. That means, what is yoke? The responsibility Jesus gives is easy. I checked the word easy. It means, requires no great struggling or striving. My burden is light. 
So there will be a burden. It will challenge us, but it will develop strength in us. It will not crush us. The burden Jesus gives will not crush us, and we will find rest for our soul. That means when we serve Him, there's going to be so much pleasure and joy and fulfillment as we get involved in this ministry. Do I have challenges in my life? Plenty. You know that. But every day is a joy because I can serve Jesus. So why we have such pleasure? Why we have such rest in our soul? Because we know that we know that we know everything we need, God has already prepared and provided for us. Every battle that we have, He has already fought and won the victory. The first few years of City Harvest Church was really tough. I didn't have a salary from the church. You know, I was weighed down by the burden of paying for the rent, paying for the church office. And to survive, I was giving private tuition to as many people as I could get. And so I was working such long hours. And to save bus fares, because we were poor, and everyone's a kid. I mean, I was the only working adult in the church. I think together with Auntie Shirley, two of us only working adults. Every day, I bicycle from Badok all the way to Kalang, back and forth, many times giving tuition. In between, I go back to the church office to work, to pray, to counsel. I was working 90 hours every week, 90 hours. So skinny, worn out, hardly eat. No money to eat. I was 64 kilos, which for my height was very skinny. Four years into the church, son and I, we are newly married. I was severely in debt. Let me tell you, life was hard. Ministry was hard. Then one day, I learned the principle of sowing and reaping. And I realized that the whole world, the whole universe, the whole, every part of life is all about seed, time, and harvest. That if I sow my seed, God will ensure there's a harvest and God is going to do the heavy lifting and He's going to do the miracle. So with the little we have, Son and I decided to sow and focus on pastoring the church. So I'm no longer giving tuition. I'm no longer looking for extra business opportunity or some side commission. I just want to focus on pastoring and just trust God. As I sow, I'm going to reap. Everything we need in life to build a family, a home, to build a church, to live a happy life, I believe is already prepared and provided for me. I just trust Him. You know what? Instead of struggling, we started thriving. And it happened. Soon I was out of debt. And the church always had more than enough. We never were ever in lack. And God provided because I could trust Him. Oh, come on, let's give God a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. When we toil to be successful, listen, City Harvest Church, when you're working 14 hours a day, holding two jobs, entertaining clients at nightclubs, getting drunk, having to womanize against your better conscience, but you know you have no choice to get ahead in your job, and by doing that, losing your consecration, stop coming to church, no time for cell group, no time for God, no time for Bible, no time for your marriage, no time for your children, no time to fellowship with your wife, 
life becomes hard. It is sin that breaks the rest. Our fear, our greed, our unbelief. So I want to end with this verse, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the New Testament, they're urging us to make every effort to be diligent to enter into the rest of God. So how does diligence to enter into God's rest look like? Just give me one, two minutes and I'm done. How does this look like? Now, mentally, we know what Jesus has done. If I tell you, Jesus died for us on the cross, you say, yeah, amen. Everything is done. You clap, you shout. You know mentally. But every day, Satan tells us otherwise. You'll never be cured of your sickness. You'll never be cured of that weakness. You'll need medication all your life. You'll always be poor and broke. You'll never move on to the next level. Your marriage is doomed. You'll never find happiness and you'll never find love again. It's gone. It's too late. You married the wrong person. Oh, you can't afford the time or energy to serve God in church. So every day, we know, we know in our head, but the devil tells us every day. So we got to cast down every wrong thought, every wrong imagination, and replace it with the Word of God. So when we are watching over our mouths and our thoughts, now, what are we doing? We are diligent to enter into the rest. When we are meditating on the Word, what are we doing? We are diligent to enter into that rest. When we are guarding over what we hear in our conversation, what are we doing? We are diligent to enter into that rest. When the doctors say there is no cure, but we say by His stripes we are healed, that's diligence. When the financiers say there's no more supply for you, and you say, but my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, that's diligence. Every time we visualize deliverance, even when the oppression is still there, oh, for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. That's diligence. You know, every time people say, well, there's no revival in your cell group. There's no revival in your church. It's too late. It's over. You know, the devil is too strong. You say, I don't believe that because if I speak to this mountain and do not doubt in my heart, but believe that whatever I say, I will have it. I will have whatever I say. Mark eleven twenty three. 23. That's diligence. Oh, come on. You want to clap? Let's give God a big clap. Oh, hallelujah. When we refuse to let God and His kingdom slip to the second place, but instead, we keep it first. We seek God, His kingdom, and His righteousness first, knowing that everything that we need will be added to us. That's diligence. I don't know how long it takes. It may take you 10 confessions. It may take you 50 confessions. Or 100 outspoken, confident words of God that you speak. But nothing is born out of worries. Nothing is born out of the cares of this world. We got to rest first before we can see the manifestation. Friends, every healing comes from peace and rest. Every victory comes from peace and rest. Every deliverance comes from peace and rest. Every revival comes from peace and rest. Resting in the promises of God. By rest, we get saved. By rest, we get healed. By rest, we get delivered. 
Some of you have serious troubles tonight in your life. You know, and God knows. But the fact that you put God first tonight, by putting everything aside and spend two and a half hours in the house of God, lifting up your hands in the air as if they just don't care and just worshiping God, tonight when you go back, you're going to realize your problem is solved because God is coming through for you. Oh, come on, you want to clap? Let's give God a big clap. 